Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Glad you're with us. Oh, man, it's the uh, January 25th already. Is that amazing or what? Yeah, I can't believe how fast it goes, honestly. And, uh, man, this week. So Dan's getting day off. First things first, I guess. The intro is misleading yet again. Today we have Jason Van Dyke in the studio. He's... He's a loan officer at Central Coast Lending. Pretty fantastic guy. I know it's not your first time. First time with you. First time with me. So that's got to be special. Jason and Jason today. Yeah. So we're calling it the Jason Squared Edition. And uh, the second hour, we're going to bring in um, Guy Torelli, and we're going to talk about commercial real estate, I think, 1031 exchanges. I'm not positive what the topic is, but that's kind of how we do it on the show. Keep it organic, you know. I like to get information first time. Makes for a better interview. See what guy wants to talk about. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so Dan's out. I got Jason today. There's plenty to talk about. Um, Jason's one of the loan officers that we've... Uh, how long have you been with the company now? Three years? Uh, yeah, two and a half, three years, somewhere in there. I always enjoy talking with you, talking shop around the office. You pay pretty close attention to the market and, and what's going on in terms of rate movement and stuff like that. You, you're you an interest rate specialist is how I feel about it. That's good. I like that. It's good to be a specialist. Yeah. And, you know, because oftentimes with loan officers, you know, in the past, this, and, and I think less since we've been doing the show and everyone seems a little bit more exposed to what works in the economy and in, in as far as pushing housing and interest rates around a lot of the uh, loan officers from other companies and previous experience of mine don't really see the connection uh, in fact some people even believe that the uh, mortgage interest rate is more or less set which is kind of funny so I li i've liked that you've always been pretty keyed into what what goes into it and how it works yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, anytime you have someone come in and you're looking at a new loan, looking at buying a home or refinancing, interest rate is obviously always a key component of that. So having an understanding of what really drives that rate and the things to look for so we can predict uh, long term and then sometimes even more importantly, short term where rates are headed. From can day really, to day. Yeah, exactly. Benefit the client. I mean, I, I hate to see people lock in an interest rate on Wednesday because that's the day that they're bottom hits the chair at that particular bank and that's what they go with because that's what's offered that day and a lot of times it doesn't necessarily make sense we've got some economic news you know coming out we've got indicators that we can look at um, the flow of money is very important and so if we take that uh, you know that holistic view I think we have a better chance of uh, doing right by our clients I love it because I mean I'm the exact same way it, it's funny too because sometimes clients are really um, interested in they want to lock immediately oh i i come in today because this range of interest rates are in line with you know what's good enough for me and i just want to lock and i think what people fail to realize is that 
if it's Monday morning and you're looking forward and over the course of the week, you're going to get housing data and you're going to get economic data. Maybe you're going to learn about a budget deal or um, jobless claims, some of the big weeks where you get unemployment numbers and all these kinds of things. Those are market moving uh, pieces of data. And depending on whether it's good news or bad news that's anticipated, you can you can play some pretty big movement as far as saving people an awful lot of money or getting them a lower interest rate just by knowing what's on the week's agenda. Yeah, and I think just being knowledgeable with all of that information and then being able to deliver it in a way that it makes sense to the client is super important. Yeah. I think the more they... They understand that the, the less stress there is in the transaction, and that always makes for happy clients. So that's good. So that being said, I'm gonna I'm gonna play coy here. Um, I don't think it's any secret. It was more or less a bloodbath in the Dow this week, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems that um, these equities markets just got pummeled, and um, and heck, I'll lob you one. I'm not really sure why. You got a you got an explanation with you today as to why this was a, a down week in in terms of most investments. I think uh, I mean even personally, you know, we look at year end numbers. We look at you know what is our weight this you know December thirty first compared to where we want it to be. And I, I think real estate and housing and all these numbers are very similar. And I think looking at the stock market, we all anticipated hopefully, you know, some growth in the economy in 2013. But when we, you know, really look back and say, wow, we saw what I don't know the numbers exactly, but a 25% increase in a lot of these equities, I, I think that uh, it was a lot more than what we were expecting. And so when we have that run up, that type of run up, I think we start to see some profit taking. And so I think that that plays a, a little bit of a factor in what we saw. I think that's a part of it too. Um, a few weeks ago here um, on the show, we had our, our friend Craig Darnell from Blakesley and Blakesley. Mm -hmm. And he's always fun to talk to because this guy's really honed into um, what's going on within, within the markets. And he pointed out that much of the growth that was found in our equities market happened because of um, the strength of the global economy and companies, international companies, seeing consumption pick up in other places and indicators that other economies around the world are catching up to the 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 strength and, and bullishness of the, the U.S. economy lately. And this week, one of the things that that popped out. I mean, there was a there was a little slew of data, and we'll hack our way all the way through it, obviously. But um, I read this week that um, the big news came from China. The big news was a weak manufacturing report showing that China's economy is weak. And if if you accept that to be true, and and you know we like to plan everything out into the future, right? All of our analysts are looking to see. Is this a is this some sort of a fluke? Is it a trend? Are we catching it on the front side or or not? Um, so if you accept that um, the world is not ordering as many goods from China, um, and so maybe the the world economy is a shade weaker than thought, and I think that that kind of stirs up a lot of those safety concerns again. Um, is, is the global economy strong? Is everything sort of on equal footing? Or do you still have that need to say, um, put the strength back in the U.S., um, perhaps driving those bond yields down? Um, kind of an interesting thing. 
it, it is interesting to me that we can watch what China's producing as a country full of producers. We're looking at, um, I'm sorry, a country full of consumers, a producer. Right, yeah. And I think that that, like you said, it, uh, looking down the road, we see those numbers out of China maybe not favorable, which means that uh, maybe what we're consuming here is a little less. But again, I, I think you you hit on the point that it's a global economy. And I think that we've really recognized and realized that over the last couple of years. And I think what we have to understand is that the stock market and the bond market are always competing for the same investment dollars. So when we have some bad news, if it's coming from the numbers or job reports or whatever it is internally um, with our economy or China's, you know, and looking at other economies around the world, if there's fear and nervousness in the economy, um, typically what we'll see is money will flow out of the stock market and into the bond market. And we call that a, a flight to quality. So maybe the rates of returns that we're expecting will be a little bit less, but we're okay with that because we're ready to take some of that money off the table and maybe put it into a safer investment, uh, that being the bond market for us here locally. Yeah. In fact, I, I don't want to talk a whole lot about it today because frankly, I'm kind of bored of it. But the the taper stuff that's going on, you know, we the feds came out and announced officially implemented a slight taper out of um, their purchasing program. The 10 year yield has fallen now to 2.72. And I, it's fun. It's fun for me to, to put this into context over the course of a day. If there was a lot of really good, bright news um, it, that said the future is looking really good, strong um factory orders or building permits um lots of jobs being created these kinds of things that would ordinarily bring strength um kind of means that money wants to go into the stock market to say hey it's time to grow and time to bet things are looking up and in doing so the bonds need to be more attractive to the investor just naturally so they get a lower buy price and a higher yield right so in a given day with some good news and maybe a few days of good news in a row, we see that the tenure would go from, I would expect from 2.72, maybe to 2.77 or something, some kind of movement like that. Five basis points over some, some news is, seems worthy. Right. We're seeing days where we're shedding seven or eight points in a row out of this thing. Um, we began in the 10-year yield, we began 2013 at 1.75, and at the end of the year, it closed at 3.02. That's tremendous movement over the course of a year. Um, course interest rates went up with it. Um, it's sort of why interest rates went up. And it was an indication of all this strength. And I think the final seal of approval that the economy's officially turned around and the strength has returned was when the feds gave that great vote of confidence by uh, implementing taper. So here we are with yields now that are pre-taper. And right. so the feds are going to meet next week. And it's kind of interesting. There's already people saying, hey, man, are they going to double back and give that 10 billion back are they going to increase um the amount of purchasing the budget that they had from 85 billion maybe to 95 billion um it, so now we got little talking heads around suggesting that maybe they pulled the trigger too quick all these kind of things and you know it's all based on data and i think the data over the last month has gotten a little bit choppier it's a little bit more sobering um, but then to see China's manufacturing index drop is an interesting one. 
I got to point out the numbers here just because I always get a kick out of these. Um, I, of course, remember going through school. Uh, I doubt you ever got an F, but an F is basically 59% or less. Um, a 60s is, is a D minus, maybe a D minus minus, depending on your teacher, which would go up, you know, of course, to a 69. And then 70 where you find Cville and 80s and the Bs and um, 90 above is an A, right? Correct, yes. These uh, metrics that they give us don't follow that logic at all. Right. Um, the manufacturing index dropped to 49.6. Hmm. I know how to score that. That's an F. Right. Not so good. Um, it's not necessarily an F because um, a reading below 50 indicates a contraction uh, in the sector. So that being said... They are. That, that's a reading that puts them into contraction, and that is a big indicator. Um, I, I do. I think they should just line it up. So it's probably not actually an F. I'd say it's a D. Okay. Yeah, because like if your kid had a D or something, you wouldn't say he failed, but he's heading in the wrong direction. Right, right. Better start turning those assignments in and <laughs> maybe studying a little bit more. So that was all of that stuff um, in the global economy kind of led to that. It's interesting to me. We're getting a little bit of uh, a drop in interest rate, which is welcomed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Some more affordability. Yeah. Well, you want people to have an environment that's safe to like come in and get the process going and kind of get their paperwork together and then have a, a place where locking an interest rate is um, – at expectation or better. That's that's ideal climate for a loan officer, right? Well, yeah, it's always difficult having them come back in and explain why the rate is going to be higher this hey, week. Hey, yeah, last, by so. the time we got our ducks in a row, it was more expensive. And that never sits well with me. I don't think any consumer wants to hear that they've decided to do business and now the deal's changed. Right. It, so it, it is, it's great for us when there's enough calm between the swells here where we can get stuff buckled in and and know what it's going to be and this declining environment that we've been in now for about a week and a half is definitely welcomed because we faced the other for months on end yeah for sure i think you alluded to it as well is what uh, how do we create those expectations for our clients and when we look at the economy and look at these numbers and we talk about what the Fed is going to do and are they going to increase, you know, the quantitative easing figures that we've been putting out on a monthly basis, will that jump back up so we can sure up the interest rates and sure up the economy and things like that? It's uh, we're, we're dealing with uncharted waters here. I mean, we totally. don't know exactly what they're going to do because we've never really had to deal with this. We've been we've been kicking the can down the road for so long that uh, you know, we're starting to, to see the end of the road and we need to make some decisions on what we're gonna do. And so it's, uh, it's really tough to know exactly what the Fed is going to do. And it's also even more difficult to predict you know, exactly how that's going to be received by the economy. And we see a lot of, uh, you, know, you talk about the interest rates going up. The, the rates went up really ahead of of the actual tapering ahead of the Fed putting less money into the, the treasuries and into the bond market. And so those increased interest rates were actually priced in before any activity took place. So so what we're hoping and what we're seeing is hopefully some stabilization here with rates, even while the government 
commits to maybe spending a little bit less uh, in the in the bond markets in the Treasury. So that uh, that's something to keep an eye on as well. Agreed. Yeah, and I always wonder too. Do they do they get it right? I mean, because in layman terms, what you're saying is that we got artificially expensive. It was it was anticipating the taper and what might happen because of the taper, and so it was built in long beforehand. And the funny thing for me is there's other things at play here in 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 terms of the interest rate and, and what to expect from taper discussion to taper worry, uh, taper debate, taper timing, and then now some pretty weak little implementation. Did the analysts that freaked us all out and priced this all in get it right or did they overreact? The other pressures at play here are an increased compliance environment. I mean, we have all banks are kind of in a chokehold right now by a continued um, rise in regulation and compliance. The compliance cost per loan has like gone up tenfold in the last 10 years. Right. At the same time, this slight rise in interest rates has caused a drop in volume. So we're seeing a lot of resizing. Every week we hear about layoffs in the big banks. They're, they're downsizing. They're selling their portfolios. They're making all of these moves to try to adjust now to this new lower volume of loans. And at some point, and I know this from being in the mortgage business now from I, I don't even know how long it's been. I'm going to play it like that. More than a decade. Um, when if, when you're in charge of your rate sheet, right, when you're setting profit margins for your company, whether you're at a big bank or you're at a small bank, um, a bank like us where um, we, we too can lean out on our profit margin um, or go fat on it. I mean, there's some discretion to the person offering the programs as far as what they want to do. But I'll tell you this, when your staff is standing around saying, hey, how come the phone stopped ringing? What's going on? You know, I get some tire kickers, but I don't really have anybody really jumping in and committing. How come the volume's down by 30 or 40%? The fact that things are lighter, you can say, all right, well, we're going to carve out the profit margin and drop this stuff down to bring, create some excitement, get some buzz, get some people in the door. Start calling up people and, you know, selling a lower profit margin to, to initiate a business cycle, right? Sure. And, and to the exact opposite, when your guys are over time, no one wants to answer that ringing phone next because it's something new to do. And everybody's talking about coming in at nights on the weekends and just can't keep up with the workload. How do you kind of close the the gates a little bit on that? You push interest rates up a little bit. So I really think that there's a component in here where um, tapering sort of drove interest rates up at this at this climate when volume was dropping and compliance costs were increasing, and the banks have this profit now that they're evaluating and they're saying you know we could stand to make a little less per loan if it meant we were going to get a few more loans and now i think that that's really going to start coming into effect right now Um, and i think we're going to see that a lot more in the second quarter depending on what happens with the overall tapering and overall interest rate market yeah, I agree with that. I think there there's definitely less loans to be done with rates bumping up a little bit. I mean, you lose a lot of that uh, refinance activity. So that's one of the reasons why I think uh, you know we're, we're seeing now 
uh, less volume for sure. Yeah, but you know, I I, sh I was sharing this the other day. You know what's awesome about it though? Tell me. I got I got a purchase loan for a, a, a wonderful family here in San Luis. They're buying a new house, um, and it's not a cheap house. Doing one of the super conforming loans, but from the day that I found out their offer got accepted. Um, in fact, let me back up because that's not the entire story. They identified a house that they were particularly interested in. We talked a little bit about it. I ran some numbers for them, kind of came up with a plan. They checked it out. There was some current concern about a couple little attributes of the property. So I ran some reports and gave them that. We They talked about it a little bit more and I kicked them some ideas. And then eventually they wrote an offer and they got accepted. So the climate for like viewing and doing some due diligence and getting that property was a lot more friendly, at least in part because of the price range, but also because the market's a little bit slower. Sure. So we got this thing into escrow and literally like all in um, nine days, I got it through underwriting, appraisals in, all the conditions are met. This thing's, um, the docs are being drawn for closing. That's quick. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool because everyone is standing there saying, hey, where's that next loan? Right. Where's it coming from? And when it hits my desk, I'm going to do my part and outshine any other company. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do my part really fast so that everybody involved in this transaction is wowed and they're sure to give me the next one. So all of the support staff that's working for me and with me to make this happen is all on the same page. And we're making these deals go so quick. Um, it, it's kind of nice. I mean, though the volume is sweet, when you get in that much volume, there's always that bottleneck effect. Sure. You know, you can only do high quality and, and, and high volume for so long before at some point something gives. Sure. There's a drop in the level of service. There's a drop in the communication. There's, you know, and I mean... We dealt with that. You remember a couple, you know, it was only a year ago that interest rates were bottomed out and you you almost walked through the grocery store with your head down because you're going to run into somebody that is going to be like, oh, I need to refinance. And you're like, I've got so many, you know. So it's it's a little bit it's a little bit different now, but I kind of like it. And I'm hoping that it does cleanse a little bit more of the riffraff, the people running around that. We're still only in the business, not because it's something they're passionate about, but because it's easy money and um, the fish are jumping in the boat. Well, it's a, it's a great story because it also highlights the fact that you're the type of people that these guys want to work with. And it's taking that time to educate them and maybe talking to them about, you know, where we're at with interest rates and what we're expecting and just really expressing to them that you have a, a good overall knowledge of the the process and everything that they're going through, uh, I think it's uh, it's great. It allows you to get back to that and have more time to, to give to these people, which is great. Yeah. It, try to find the silver line. For That's sure. what you got to do. Yeah, you have to, right? Hey, it's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, just about 1030. We're going to go ahead and take commercial break time out to thank the sponsors. We do hope you'll stick around. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. 
A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. So glad you're with us. We got Jason Van Dyke in here with me. I'm Jason Grody. We're representing Central Coast Lending today. We're halfway through. We got a guest coming in for the second hour. There are some other things that I want to talk about. Um, there's some other data. And by the way, I wanted to do the last little segment about um, HARP. I want to do a little HARP update. And I know you know about HARP. I don't know how many other people know about harp so we're gonna do we're gonna have a harp off here in about 15 minutes this is gonna be fun okay what consists of a harp off do i should i have been prepared for the harp off no i'll just we'll just talk a little bit about it and uh changes proposed changes successes maybe you could tell me about some harp loans you've done okay um okay so first of all there was some other data this week, and you know, I talked a little bit about this China thing. I think that I think that was really in the spotlight. Maybe I'm overemphasizing it, but I think it was a really big deal. Um, so there was some other stuff to talk about. First of all, um, I like to check check in on the jobs market. Every week we get on Thursday first time uh, jobless claims. This week, um, those first time jobless claim benefits came out at um, 326. That's only a thousand up from last week, but man, the headlines really stole it. It was that it was uh, the first increase in months, you know, talking about 
this the jobs market getting a lot of attention right now, especially after December's terrible jobs report. Um, so all in all, consider it flat. Um, don't even worry too much about it. Not a lot going on in the jobless claims. It's not like it went tremendously down or tremendously up. The next one is the um, the FHFA's home price index. This is interesting to me. I, I love the FHFA price index, by the way. Um, before I talk too much about this number, I'll give you some quick background. I wonder if you know this, Jason. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have had these um, underwriting, automated underwriting system. Uh, it, it's like an engine that you put the loan application into. It, it analyzes the credit, also does some... Um, pulls a little bit of information about um, the neighborhood and census tract and stuff that it knows based on the geographic location of the property and the property type. It gives a little bit of feedback um, in terms of the borrower. It tells you that you should verify X, Y, and Z in terms of income, assets, all this kind of thing. Anything on the credit out of the ordinary will tell you about. Um, these things have been using these algorithms that have years like decades of useful information in there to, to analyze loan risk and regardless of how you score Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in the fight here and the mortgage meltdown that occurred they got pretty good at this stuff and one of the things is um, since we got the appraiser independence legislation you know we went through all this like uh, what was it what's it called safe or something the safe act is it part of the safe act anyway we're no longer allowed to do um interact directly with the appraiser it's got to be a little bit more neutral in the transaction there was some funny stuff going on with some yeah and, and, and probably and rightfully so and sure. at the same time they worked with um the the guidelines for appraisers and the forms that are being used to sort of um make them more uniform correct so now they began capturing the data which i think is just brilliant so everybody that gets a fannie mae or freddie mac loan today their appraisal is actually uploaded and the fields now have had changes to make the um the kind of comments about condition and quality and construction and all these things are now um, being talked about in a similar language that that these computer systems can understand. So we all know about Zillow, right? Zillow's not very dependable. You could have um, any of these older neighborhoods in, in you know anywhere around the county where there's some nice houses and in the middle of it, an unbelievable house. Right. And likewise, you could have a couple houses that are crazy, historic, custom homes that are just beautiful and very expensive, and then a little bungalow tucked in between them that's really nothing special. And Zillow doesn't really know how to evaluate that. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's system is getting better at understanding that because it's using actual data from actual appraisals, and it's not just from purchases. That's probably part of Zillow's fault. It only knows what stuff has sold for, and if stuff hasn't sold recently, 
Um, it doesn't really know what to do about that. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are utilizing refinance appraisals, not drive-by, not something out of public record, but actual full-on primary data, and they're scoring this stuff. They're keeping track of it. So it's an interesting metric, and I was just kind of excited to see that the FHFA was um, employing this data that they have in a way that I think is really useful. I'm optimistic that it's going to get us away from this uh, needing appraisals. That would be nice. Yeah, we can talk more about that later, but I, I think it's kind of ridiculous. If you have a house with some equity in it and you've been making the payments on it for six years, there's an opportunity for your um, interest rate to be lowered because you're, you know, because of the general economy. What does that have to do with how much equity you have? Right. Yeah, we, we see some of that even now where we're getting some appraisal waivers on sure. properties, which is really nice. I mean, it's nice that that information is available and lenders will look at that and say, OK, this is the estimated value based on these automated systems. And based on this information, you can go ahead and just bypass the appraisal altogether. Number yeah. one, it, it it's efficient in in speeding up the process, which is nice. But then if we can save our client you know, $400, which is the cost of the appraisal, plus the headache of having someone come in and they've got to clean up and do some dishes and right. have some interior pictures taken. And so uh, that that's, uh, if we can find a way to expedite that and, and make it more cost efficient for the client, that, I mean, that's, that's great. That's always agrees. So now they're keeping this home price index that's using this data. Um, so it came out this week for November, was expected that the home price index went up 1%. Um, home prices rose a seasonally adjusted 0.1% um, in the month of November. And they bumped up October, revised it upwards to 0.5%. Um, these newest numbers coming out in this report show that there's a, a slowing price growth. In other words, we're not experiencing that rapid appreciation. Um, and most of the people that are tracking and predicting these metrics, they're out there. Um, they, they're surprised by the lackluster growth. They were predicting a 0.4% increase and only saw a 0.1. So um, it's... It's kind of a another indication that we got this week that um, real estate the the growth in sales price is slowing down a little bit. Overall, the the home price index is is not necessarily falling, but it's slowing. Right. And so that's a that's a scary thing. What's that going to do to to public perception? Because that's what it's all about, right? We've got uh, the home prices sort of stabilized and then took off on an increase because people came out and said they're comfortable again. I'm, I'm comfortable with real estate. I'm comfortable with real estate as an investment. Makes sense to me. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and buy one. Sure. The prices are stable and, and, you know, hopefully going to go up again. These interest rates are so low. So we restored confidence in it. Makes good sense, right? If some of this stuff starts to come out to suggest that they're not going up like gangbusters. Things are slowing and rates are going up. Now we're kind of pulling some of those strings on the economy and people are sitting back to say, hey, what's going to happen with this? Because remember, it's not just isolated here. We're, we're learning about new construction and permits and existing home sales. Um, we're seeing all these other numbers where when you add them all up, people begin predicting 
what does that mean for the future? And, and I think really, what does it mean for people's perceived value of real estate? Yeah, there are some interesting numbers that I read this week that uh, talked about first-time home buyers, and historically, about forty percent of the market is made up from first-time home buyers. And in December, first-time home buyers only accounted for about twenty-seven percent of the the sales nationally. And this was actually the the lowest since the National Association of Realtors began tracking that. And so. When we start looking at that and looking at the reasons why, um, obviously values were low. And so anytime we have low property values, we're going to attract a lot of investors. And so those investors are coming in, picking up those good deals. Uh, and we're in an environment where maybe credit and lending guidelines are still relatively tight. So we see these investors coming in and, and many of them are are paying cash for these these properties. And so so I think that has uh, has put first-time home buyers in a difficult situation because there's rates are great for sure money's cheap they can afford these properties but when the investors are picking them up uh with all cash offers it uh, it, it really it's a detriment to them trying to find a home for the first time so i think that that's factored in there a little bit um 42 percent of all u.s residential sales in december during 2013 were all cash offers compared to only 18% in 2012. So Which is crazy. Numbers. I want to get before these people and talk with them about why on earth would you sink hundreds of thousands of dollars and tie up all that liquidity into something that you could borrow a 30-year fixed at, you know, in the 4% range. Right. It's hard for me to get that, but people are doing it. Likewise, this week we learned about existing home sales. Um, so this is sales. This is tracking the metrics of sales that are previously owned homes. So not new construction, right. which is a house that was previously occupied. Um, in the in the past one month, um, they rose one percent to an annual rate of four point eight seven million units. Um, the sales pace is slower than economists expected. Um, the forecast um, is is not being met because of Frigid weather, man. It's been a cold winter. Cold, People man. aren't getting out, out there, there shopping. Um, sales in the Northeast and the Midwest, um, which is where you were, we were seeing like news of the negative weather, you know, negative 10 degrees right. out there regularly. Um, they had a, so much cold weather in December that that's said to have affected this. Um, so I don't know. Do you buy it that it's just based on the weather? It's a slow season anyway, um, but this is a seasonally adjusted number, so who knows. But sales in 2013 were the highest volume of sales since 2006. Prices increased by 11.5% in that year, which is the most appreciation we saw in a single year after 2005. So it's, it's sort of... How do you stack it up? You got to keep seeing this theme of slowing, not adding as many jobs as we need, seeing some manufacturing stop or slow down, seeing inflation numbers not hit their targets, um, seeing all of these little metrics sort of going a little bit soft of where they were. And now you, you ask yourself, is it a good time to buy stocks? Is it a good time to buy bonds? This week, folks chose bonds. Right, right. Rates came down with it. Um, don't log in and look at your 401k this week. Just 
don't go check out your investment accounts. They're going to be fine without you. Um, look into them after a couple of weeks when these things are picking up. We're going to go ahead and do a commercial break. We get back. want to talk a little bit about the beige book and a few other fun things. Oh, and HARP. We were going to talk about HARP. Okay, stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Jim. Yes, sir. You're a rocker through and through, aren't you? I love rock, but I like country too. Yeah. What's in What's in your uh, tape deck right now in your car? Uh, tape deck? I don't have a tape deck. It's called your a CD, CD player, player or a satellite system. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I would bet it's probably something along the lines of ZZ Top. Yeah, I could have told you that. Uh, something like that. But you know, I might have some Garth Brooks in there too. Hey, I watched um, Garth Brooks special. The other day, I, I DVR'd it off of, I don't even know what network it came on, but it was mm. Garth Brooks was like live at the Wynn. Have you yeah. seen this? No, I have not. Wow. I've seen his show, though. Have you? Yes. And and I it, may, I it struck me that this is like his Vegas show. Yeah. And he came out, but he was so 
full of energy oh, and it was just him great. and his acoustic guitar and just yeah. telling like his story about growing up and his parents influence on uh -huh. music and his siblings and how they like got it you know the music changed and yeah. through the house growing up all of his influences and stuff is that the one you saw uh, I haven't seen that, but I've seen this this show. This is like a few years ago. They were doing the double live CD, yeah. and he, they were recording, you know, different venues for it. And Garth came on and said, "You know, there was something about this crowd in San Jose, which is where I saw him." Yeah. <laughs> so he, yeah, it was like uh, you felt a special one of the, connection. One of the songs that was on the double live CD, or a couple of them, were actually recorded. That I saw in uh, San Jose. No way. Yeah, it was awesome. Did you hear yourself screaming? Yeah, I was. Background? I was. You could. You could. You could make Faintly. me out. Yeah, He's exactly. All, I love you. That's Garth. me. I think it might have been me. somewhere other than the night or rodeo or something. I'm not sure exactly which one, but uh, and he came out too, and he's like, "Well, we couldn't decide which songs we were gonna do for this show, so we're just gonna do all of them." Nice. It's like a three and a half hour show. How it was fun. A great time. Great time. Yeah. So yeah, Garth Brooks, pretty cool. You, if you get a chance to see that special about him at the win, you got to see it. It it was jaw dropping to say the least. All right, we got some stuff to hack through, and we got ten minutes to do it. I'm gonna try my best to keep you on track. Please don't talk too much. Please don't get us off track. <laughs> Dan said it was gonna be an easy day for me. This is the first time we mentioned earlier that I've been on the radio with you. So Dan is usually, uh, we're back and forth, but he said it's going to be an easy day with you. He said I could probably check my Facebook and everything. Yeah, you you can log in. I mean, you might even be able to get a couple <laughs> chapters read in your book when you sit in here with me. Um, so the Beige Book, this is a fun one. You know why it's called the Beige Book, Jason? Is it beige? It truly is. There you go. It's a little Beige Book. Um the Beige Book, though, describes the economic conditions across the nation. Um, they look at the central bank's 12 different districts, and they do kind of an in-depth analysis that paints a picture for us of the labor market and the local economies, um, particularly in the ideas looking whether what's the climate in these economies and are we poised for growth, indicating that things are getting better, um, are we seeing acceleration in real estate and manufacturing, these kinds of things? Um, so Some of the economic indicators that we watch closely. Yeah, and, and, and it's some of the people that are more keyed into it and they're, they're the representatives in their districts that are bringing the information. It's, it's really um, – it, it, the Beige Book is something that's looked to, um, gives us an idea. And, and honestly, it's pretty honest. Sure. I remember a couple of years ago when the recession was feeling pretty dirty, you'd read the Beige Book and go, oh, so it's like this everywhere. Right. Um, at any rate, um, the Beige Book this last week released showed that two-thirds of all the districts reported small to moderate increases in hiring um, and that they were optimistic. As optimistic today as when the year began, they see that the um, economies feel pretty strong. And to me, that's a little bit of... Um, that's a little bit of an encouraging thing. When you see these headlines talking about, oh, things aren't good and this, that, and the other, it's like easy to start to get swept up in that. But then when you see the beige book come out that says, you know, we just checked in across these 12 districts. And like I said, they've got a little bit of credibility with me because they're not always painting a rosy picture, said that things are feeling good and that um, substantially more businesses plan to expand this year. And to hear that the business owners 
out in the U.S. economy have the confidence that it takes to expand, um, that that to me is a real vote of confidence. It kind of makes me think that everything's going to be okay. As a business owner, you're constantly watching over your business. It's a living, breathing entity, and you're you're in one of a few different phases. There's not a lot of options here. There's um, the growth cycle where you are confident in adding on and being rewarded for it. And then there's that cycle where you have to figure out how to adapt to a change in revenue and make sure that everything that you're doing is okay. And you slip into this kind of scared thing where you monitor expenses and overhead and liability with a much more watchful eye because you lack that confidence. And then once you're stable in that and you want growth, then you, you're it's all about the environment. Is it a safe environment for me to come out and invest some money to let go of some of that savings, to make that new hire, to, to kick different things into action and to find out that the overall um, two thirds of the districts here find that companies are poised to staff up and grow, I think is really encouraging. You think we'll get some, uh, some talk of that in the, the fed meeting next week? I do. Yeah. Um, and I, I also think that a lot of the Fed comment that you're going to see next week is going to just address whether or not they tapered too early. Um, they're going to talk about that jobless report that um, they they tapered because they finally achieved what they for months defined as sustained improvement in the labor market. And then the next jobs report right. was an absolute sock in the gut. Right. So, um, yeah, it'll be great to see the minutes. Um, I can't wait to hear how it's actually talked about and how it's received. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to this week. And I think, um, Hopefully, it's going to calm down some of the anxiety to, to hear the, the leader take the helm and tell us what this all means and whether it's time to panic or not. So real quick, too, now we only have six minutes left. Um, I wanted to talk about HARP. So in 60 seconds, you tell me about HARP. Who's it good for? What? Why do? Why do we even matter? Well, HARP is the Home Affordable Refinance Program that uh, the government put into place. Uh, basically, it's to help homeowners that have lost so much appreciation in their properties where they may find themselves underwater, which basically means they owe more in their property than what the property would actually be worth or or appraised for. And so we've created. We talked about the government creating this low interest rate environment, but with property values dropping there was uh, millions of homeowners who were unable to refinance because of the loan to value, because of the property values. So the HARP program basically says that if your current loan is owned by Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, and your loan originated or started before May 31st, 2009, that you would qualify for the HARP program. And we can help you find out if your particular property or mortgage qualifies. Uh, you just give us a call and we can help you with that. But it's it's been a great program because it allows people that are upside down on their properties to refinance into these really low interest rates. Yeah. And, and most people, when we talk about higher loan-to-value, something above 80%, we automatically think, okay, well, there's got to be 
mortgage insurance. There's got to be an additional cost because I'm, I'm at a higher risk scenario. And the HARP program, if you do not have existing mortgage insurance on your loan, you will exit your HARP refinance without mortgage insurance, just like you started. So that, that's it's a great opportunity for people who really feel like, oh, everything is lost. I don't have an opportunity to now have an opportunity to capture some of these low rates, which is great. And it works for your primary residence, your second home, or your investment property. Which is great. And sure. you can do it if you own a primary, a second home, and three investment properties. If they're all eligible, you can do it on all of them. Correct. One of the things about HARP that's a bummer is that you can only do it once right. per property. And some people did it too soon. Some people harped right. in 2009 um, when the program came out. Um, they harped quickly into like a four and three quarters or 5% interest rate. And for a long time, those people were hemming and hollering that they had they known rates were going to keep falling. And it's just not fair that the government isn't allowing loans after um, May 31st, 2009 to be HARP eligible. So there was some chit chat this week about HARP and whether it would be extended, whether they'd move that date forward. Um, and so we learned from one of the top policy advisors um, in housing at the Treasury Department said that. They're not going to – he doesn't think there should be a change in the eligibility date. Citing that, since HARP's inception, people have long pushed for, why not remove the date? And the idea is um, I, I can't really understand why the date. It seems artificial to me. Um, it kept a lot of people from being able to do a HARP loan and, and also those people from being able to do a new one. You should be able to do a new one if it makes sense for everybody and you can get your payment lower, Right? why not? Um, but at any rate, he said, hey man, much of the bleeding here has already been solved by uh, the upswing in house values. So a lot of the people that had to have HARP no longer even have to have it, let them go do a normal loan. And that it's not worth going in and trying to impact some big change here. Um, but there is a little bit of chit chat. They may move that forward to May of 2010. Um, if they don't move the date, I heard that they may uh, end up allowing people to do it for a second time, which could be pretty cool. So we'll keep you guys up to date on it. But the bottom line takeaway for you is if you have limited or no equity or even upside down, you may be HARP eligible. HARP also has um, much higher tolerance for debt to income ratio. For sure. Um, so it's got some more lenient standards. So oftentimes, even if people have some equity, um, limited equity would be able to use the HARP program to refinance um, to kind of get around other little lending hurdles. So you're best off to give us a call or come in for a consultation, let us walk you through it, kind of size you up as far as whether or not it's a, a good time for you to do a HARP refi. Um, yeah. 543-LOAN, 543-5626, or centralcoastlending.com. we got a break to get into here at the top of the hour. When we get back, we're going to have Guy Torelli on. We're going to change topics. Stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. Crazy being a trucker's wife. The part she couldn't handle was a being alone. I guess she needed more to hold than just a telephone. Papa 
Call mama each and every night Just to ask her how she was and if his kids were alright Mama would wait for that call to come in But when dad... Alright, you guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Feels a little sacrilegious talking over Garth Brooks. You just like the song rolling. I don't know. I, I'm so excited for you to track down and watch this show I saw. I will. Do I know that. you like Garth Brooks now based on our, our talk during the break. Yeah. This was so cool. Because what he did, like, he, he played, like, the standards. His dad was really into, like, old country music. Yeah. And so he would play the guitar riffs and talk about how that influenced his style. And then... Uh, a song that he had written based on those influences. And then, you know, in high school, his sister brought like some rock into the house and his, you know, his mom was into some different, almost like Motown kind of stuff. Right, and it right. influenced him in all these different ways. And, but all the way it was like a sing along, play along as he was talking about the evolution of his musical influences and music as a whole. What a trip. Man. I'll try to remember to wear my Garth Brooks world tour t-shirt. All right. Weekend. All right. I'll try to remember. <laughs> All right, guys, but for this next hour here, I still got Jason. He's down there, nose buried in the books, trying to find something relevant to say. And then we also have Guy Torelli, um, who's joining us. He's uh, second time on the show. So first off, Guy, thanks for coming in again today. Thanks for having me back. We're going to make it easy on you, too. Um, I'm Jason. That's Jason. So you, whatever you say, just address a Jason, and you're going to be fine. Um, all right. Now I, I having you on the show today, first of all, before we dive right into it, I heard you, you say you're a SoCal guy. I think we talked about this a little bit before. Um, I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley. I mean, we moved to big bear when I was 13. So that's kind of where like, I I'll say that I grew up, but we I ran probably in some of the same streets as you. Uh, you definitely did. Cause that is where I grew up. It's now called Valley Village. Ah, does okay. Jason does Jason have a reputation down there? Have you ever heard of <laughs> Jason Grody? I'm a few I'm a few years older than him, so I got out before uh, things changed. Yeah, in, in the valley. But yeah, that was um, it. Was different down there, you know. And now, even when I go back through today, it's gotten so much busier. And there's there's. Uh, a lot of the shopping centers are even already been redeveloped and old neighborhoods that I saw have kind of gone through. Like there was this house that we lived in um, on Topanga and it was right off Topanga, which is a pretty busy street, but it was a cool little house with a guest house in the back. And it was kind of a quaint little bungalow type of thing. I went by there the other day just to kind of have a peek in on one of the childhood houses. And this thing was like not only totally scraped, but they built like this mansion on the pad that was like a zero lot line two-story compound looking thing and it just tripped me out so i guess that's progress down in the valley um made me a little bit sad but i just see they're they're packing more people in per square mile it, it, that is what they do it's it's incomprehensible yeah so i'm happy to be here plus with the cleaner air and and all that um so we so we kind of come from some of the same terrain anyway um, not, not that I want to make you feel too similar to me. I can't imagine that's a comfortable feeling. So, um, one of the topics that we, um, brainstormed about talking about today with you is the 1031 exchange. And I, I'm, I am excited to talk a little bit about this with you. Uh, I, I want to start by telling you just real quick about, um, this client that called me this week. Um, 
was really interested in in um, getting pre-qualified to buy a new investment property up over the grade. And idea was the current property is um, that the investment property they have here in town, they've had for 12 years. So it's kind of run its course in terms of like the depreciation and the interest expense. And it's kind of time to, to pick a new piece. Plus this other property is a property that they're, you know, can see a bigger future with, maybe even occupy themselves at some point. So they are wanting to sell this property here and buy this property there. But that thing happened in real estate where they weren't ready and the new one hit the market. Of course, there's multiple offers for it because it's a cool house. They called me up and they said, quick, we got to get a loan. And so I gave them interest rate information and then I kind of said, and, and real quick, um, just want to make sure you're covering your bases here. Your interest in selling that property, you know, and basically they bought it for under 200 grand and are going to sell it for over 500. They've never occupied it. So if I'm right, I think they experienced some capital gains yeah. in this when they sell. Yes, it. they did. And so they said, well, when we buy this other one, you know, and I said, if you do that, I'm afraid because what's the capital gains rate right now? It is about 20%. 20%. So if your basis was such that you cleared 300000 because you sold these things or sold this house out of order, right? Because don't you have in a 1031 exchange? So I'm getting ahead of myself. So I just told them, I would like for you to talk to your accountant and find out what your basis is in the property and what you think you're likely to sell it for, figure out what your capital gains exposure is going to be, and then find somebody to ask questions about a 1031 exchange to make sure that if you think you're gonna be able to shelter this profit in that way, that you understand the rules appropriately before you do this. Um, they were under the assumption that they could buy this house and then sell their other house and offset the gains in that way. I said I wasn't sure it worked that way and that they needed to look into it. Um, it can work that way. That's called a reverse exchange, and okay. you can do that. And Under all the same benefits? The reverse exchange is sweet because you have no time limit to sell your what's called your downleg property. Okay. Usually... It doesn't work because the person doesn't have the money to close on their next property. Ah. So so if you're flush with cash, you could pull it off. If you have the cash, you can pull it off. And uh, I've had clients that have done them. But you're going up from one property to, tip to a more expensive property. And most people don't have that cash to do it. Yep. So, well, you touched on a couple things. So let, let me just sort of lay a few... Uh, uh, foundational pieces and one is you gave you suggest your clients get tax advice and not only is that important but what's even more important is is their preparer skilled in real estate because often they're not and the tax codes enormous and and there's a lot of tax preparers that do not have a heavy real estate practice and simp and they they can give you bad advice so that's you want to get someone that's uh, heavy in real estate. The, the exchange laws are a very well-worn road in the IRS code, meaning there really, there's no mystery, they're totally safe, the laws have been stable for decades, they're predictable, 
You just need to get good advice. Um, so let me sort of set the framework for the exchange. It's a tool, and there's a number of tools investors have, and doing an exchange is one of those tools. So the, the four basic programs are you buy a property, you hold it, or you buy a property, you sell it, or you buy a property and then you refinance it, which your client is talking about doing, or you buy it and exchange it. And so each of those has different ramifications. Obviously buying and holding, that's straightforward. If you buy and sell it, you're gonna pay capital gains taxes, which means you're gonna have less money to do something with. If you buy and then refinance it and pull some money out, you're only gonna pull out you're not going to pull out all of your equity. You're going to leave ab about a third of your equity in the property. If you exchange your property, you get to move 100% of your equity into a new property. And so that obviously is a very attractive part of that. So it, the question that often comes up is, well, what's the best strategy? And the answer is, there's a good strategy for each of you, and it's, it's not the same. You have to figure out between these four scenarios what is the best way to go. A lot of investors uh, will buy and sell and pay the tax and just move on that way. Other investors will exchange their whole life, and at the end of, the of their life, there's a way to defer all of those taxes as well. So you just have to look at your situation and your goals, and then you'll see which, which one uh, you know, might be best for you. So you want to start with the basics of the exchange? Of I do. Yeah. Cause I, I bet you there's already people listening and says, so it has something to do with taxes, but what's a 1031 exchange? Okay. Basically if you have a piece of property and you're, and you've made money on it and you've got a lot of equity and you sell it, you're going to pay taxes. Uh, obviously, you're going to pay taxes on the profit that you make. And if you have, if you bought it for two hundred thousand five years ago, and it's worth five hundred thousand, you're going to have a three, at least a three hundred thousand dollar taxable event, which means quickly, off the top of my head, you might pay the government sixty to eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, and real quick too, I don't know if we pointed this out yet, but. Generally speaking, we're talking about investment properties or commercial properties, things that aren't our owner-occupied primary residence because there are capital gains exemptions. I think right now it's 250 for a single and 500 for a married couple. So if you have a property that you've occupied for two of the last five years, right, isn't that the rule? And it might even, might even be a little more lenient than that if you occupied it for as a primary residence for a substantial amount of time. Yeah, we're, we're talking about investment property. Yeah. So a property that you bought for investment purposes, right. not your home. So one thing to point out at the beginning is the exchange laws are very flexible. You could go from, maybe you've got a house with a lot of equity. You could exchange that into two or three other houses. You could exchange it into an apartment building. You could exchange it into a retail building an industrial building. You could, if you have a small apartment building, you could exchange that into an industrial building, a couple of houses, two small apartment buildings. So it's very flexible. And so you can think about if you've got a lot of equity, 
you have a lot of options. You do not have to go into the exact same type of property you're presently in. Um, so, so that's a, a fantastic uh, uh, option for people to look at the equity they have and decide what they want to do with it. So the quick way to, to, to analyze it is if you have a property, let's just say it's worth a half a million dollars. So in order to defer all the taxes, you have to buy a property that's more than a half a million. You also have to use all of your equity in the property. So if you, this half a million dollar property has a $200,000 loan, you've got to move that 300000 and buy a property that is at least 501000 Then all of the taxes are deferred. Another thing you could do is you can add cash. So let's say you've got some other cash somewhere else. You could add cash to your equity and buy an even bigger property or properties. So, the, um, so that's an option. And then... Can you take on another individual too? So your interest, like your 1030 warning, your interest in it. So yeah. in other words, yes. I'm going to sell this apartment building I have, and then me and two buddies are going to go together and buy this really big apartment building or something. You could still fit something like that in there? Yes, you can do that. So you could exchange, and then the other investors could just – they. in fact, you could have three different people all exchanging into one or two hmm. or three properties. So uh, – it's good for listeners to sort of broaden their horizons as to there are a lot of options out there. And sure. all of these are well-worn, well-tested. There's no mystery to them. Now, Guy, there's there's some timelines that have to be adhered to, correct? When when we're selling a property, we have to identify the the property that we're going to exchange into. How, how flexible are those timelines? And what what can can new buyers of that new property run into? What kind of problems can they run into? Um there are, there are timelines. There's two. Uh, there's a timeline where you have to identify, and then there's a timeline you have to close. So the way it works is when you close your what's called your down leg, the property you have now, and then the, the bigger property is called your up leg, pretty straightforward. So when you close your down leg property, you have 45 days to identify and to the property you're going to exchange into. Typically, you can identify three properties. You have 180 days from the day you close your down leg to close the up leg property. But the reality is you actually have a lot more time than that because if, if a client came to me and they want to do an exchange and we are talking today and they put their property on the market today, well, we have the timelines haven't started because they haven't sold their property. So right. you have all this marketing time. Then you get a buyer, you get into escrow, you have that escrow time, and then escrow closes. Then you have another 180 days to close on your up leg. So you, there's, you have a lot of time. Right. And typically for v investors that are nervous, I'll build in an extension so they can the seller at their option can extend the escrow for 30, 40, 60 days to even add more time so that you do have to close with that 180 by that 180th day or your exchange is canceled and then you pay the taxes turns into a pumpkin and then you owe the 20 percent <laughs> yes. 
we've seen that happen too, by the way, transactions that um, all of a sudden on like day 150, some guy frantically runs into the lobby with a stack of paperwork and says, I'm down to 30 days to get this pup across the finish line or it costs me a ton of money. Can you do this? Of course we can. So we set out to do it. And then two weeks in, he says, you know, it occurred to me that this transaction's all wrong and I don't want to do it. I was trying to just beat the capital gains and I'm better off to just pay it and, and back out. That's happened a dozen times. It's funny how people get going frantically in that process, but it always strikes me as that they probably want to plan a little bit more and and have a better idea of what's going to go down before they begin execution. And it sounds to me like knowledge of that reverse 1031 exchange for the right investor that has the capital or equity in another property somehow to float it could be a pretty good option. It's a terrific option. It's uh, if, if you can find the cash. Because it takes that timeline heat off you, right? It takes the timeline heat off you. But if you go into it, you know, you've, you've analyzed the, the different options you have, refinancing, you know, selling and paying the tax or the exchange. If the exchange option's right, then you're going to go into it in the right way with the right structure and you, you've got a lot of time. Um, and sometimes people, you know, get bad advice and then they're in that, that jam you talked about where... Uh, they're very stressed and they have to find something. And of course, when you're under that kind of pressure, you make bad decisions. Right. Yeah. But. Um, well, and nobody wants to give the government any extra money. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, how mad do you get when you pay like when you pay your taxes? Especially like you've been paying all year long, especially guys like us that. You know, income isn't always a, a constant, but you, you've been paying and it's painful to be paying. I always tell Dan that our, the IRS is like our third business partner that never shows up but never misses his paycheck. And it's just maddening. So the last thing you want to do is find yourself in a position where now you're going to share them into $60,000 of, you know, your equity ultimately out of a property that you've been slaving away on for 20 years, right? I mean, that's going to, that paints a lot of people into a corner. Um, that's not a good situation. And in, in, if I could sort of walk you through it, if you, if you think about it, if you're contemplating an exchange and you've now decided that's a good strategy, the day you list your property, you're going to start looking and you're going to start looking in for certain types of properties in certain locations. You're going to be dealing with in the investment world. It's, it's common to be dealing with a number of brokers because everything doesn't clear through MLS. And so there's no one place to go to find all the apartment buildings because they're not all in one place. So you've got to deal with a number of agents and, uh, and you're going to have it a location and a type of product narrowed down and be watching all the time. And so when you add up the time we talked about between the marketing time of your property, the escrow time of your property, and the 180 days, you can easily have 10 months, yeah. which is a long time. Yeah. 
Now I'm curious, guy. I, I I have a handful of clients here in town that are some of the um, who I'd call like the the wealthy elitist guys that are showing up owning fifteen to thirty million dollars worth of real estate around, a lot of which is without loans, and. They're always doing 1031 exchange. So first of all, that's one of the things that tells me that if you don't know anything about it and you own a property or two, do some homework because the people that are like just above you on the financial ladder, they know how to take advantage of the tax codes and are making these big swings. So, um, and the other thing I notice is that these guys, yeah, sometimes it's properties that they hold for an awful long time, but they trade properties amongst themselves. And they, and I, from what I can tell, it's a matter of resetting um, the basis in a property, taking advantage of a fresh set of depreciation, kind of just switching things around. And it doesn't feel overly complicated. So my, my point here is these guys that I consider to be financially savvy, they roll through these properties. So are there, would you advise that there are people out there like, kind of the layman investor that owns a couple, two, three houses that is at a disservice for not considering moving property or 1031ing into other things to make sure they're always on the, the edge of maximizing tax benefit and investment return? Well, I, I would say this. I would go back to what I mentioned at the beginning. It's a tool. And so the exchange is another tool an investor has. And if you don't know anything about that tool, you're not going to consider using it. So I would say this, you should absolutely look into it more and then look at that as an option compared to refinancing and buying or selling and buying. Because when you can use all of your equity to buy a new property, you obviously can get a nicer property, a a, a, uh, a it's property, maximizing your purchasing power. A bigger property, a property in a better location. The last show, I met a uh, a gentleman. He owns some rental property in Bakersfield, and he's anxious to get rid of those properties. And he's got them on the market. I don't know if he sold them yet. And he's going to sell those rental homes. He's got more than one, and exchange back here to the Central Coast where he lives, in a obviously much easier place to manage and a, a better location than where he is in a, in a certain part of Bakersfield. So uh, it, it's a tool to look at. The, the, other, the other thing I wanted to mention is all of the major escrow companies have accommodators that they use, and so do the title companies. So it's very simple to uh, talk to your favorite escrow company, title company, call Jason at the show, call me email me and I could easily put you in touch with with major companies that do this all the time and so you can you can educate yourself quickly yeah and, and get comfortable quickly. and get comfortable with knowing that the process is like you said a well-traveled road it's not that you're in uncharted territory because also nobody really wants to get caught monkeying around within the tax code yeah. right you don't want to be an experiment with the IRS no. no as much as I hate paying my taxes the idea of getting in trouble with the IRS is far more scary to me 
Um, hey, it's the middle of the hour here, so we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break. When we get back, we'd love to hear your questions or comments. You can give us a call. The number is 543-8830, 543-8830. Join us after this break. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, Seattle, Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. His eyes are cold and restless. Almost ill, and she give half a Texas. All right, y'all, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for being with us. 1133. We've had Guy Torelli on, and um, so far, so good. You're doing fine. Thank you. <laughs> I am curious, though, just real quick, there could be some people listening that um, want to know how to get a hold of you. So would you mind just kicking some credentials out real quick? Uh, thank you. It's You can go to my website, guytorelli.com, G-U-Y-T-O-R-E-L-L-I.com is the easiest way. You can call or email me there. The local number is 556-5336. Hey, guys, uh, just real quick, I, I told our, our marketing pro that I'd give him the plug this week. Um, on our website, centralcoastlending.com, uh, we try really hard to, to put 
a lot of effort into quality material on the site. We want it to be a service that everybody enjoys. There's a little something for everyone with uh, cool little posts about local things, write-ups on local businesses, to the more chunky economic data, uh, loan kind of update stuff. There's calculators to figure out mortgage stuff. There's information about all the programs, all the stuff. And then also we, we have professional bloggers from um, really around the county that blog for us on topics that we think are, are relevant and um, honestly, I think are pretty awesome. We have some tax folks and some attorneys. We got landscapers and painters. We got um, different little remodel stuff on there. This week, there's a few articles that you might want to check out, one of which is written by David Crichton. Um, and it's investment strategies for 2014. So I'd give it a read. I thought it was great. Maybe you'll pick up a nugget of something you'll want to use in your bag of investment tricks for this year. Um, if not, you got exposed to another person's point of view. Um, additionally, uh, there's a decent little write-up on FHA's Back to Work program, something we've been talking about a lot lately. This program allows people that experienced a short sale as little as 12 months ago to qualify for a new mortgage. So uh, there are some guidelines that you got to meet about decline in income, stuff like that. But it's uh, for those people that you know, um, really good people found themselves in, in a pickle over a real estate obligation where due to a loss of a job or um, a change in jobs with a reduction in wage, all these things that are kind of tied to income, this program gives a little extra forgiveness and leniency on. So go check out that article if you're trying to figure out how to rebuild and reemerge from a short sale that you had um, in recent history. That's a, a good start right there. And then likely, uh, likewise, we wrote, Dan and I have an article up on there that's the um, advice, uh, mortgage advice for 2014. This is letters from the owners. So you can go check it out, see what we have to say about um, looking forward to this year. Uh, all that found on centralcoastlending.com. Go check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Okay, so we're back. We've got Guy Torelli on. We've been talking 1031 Exchange. Um, you know, during the break, you two over there, all cute in the corner, started having some in-depth conversations. I hope you didn't waste all the good stuff. Oftentimes during the breaks, we, we get through the good stuff. Um, I'm curious to know what you're talking about. I was over here texting my wife. I'm so in love with her. And um, so am I. Yeah. So a couple quick things. I want to find out what you guys are talking about in just a second. Hang on. 543-8830. If you want to call in and ask a question, get some advice, uh, maybe make a comment. 543-8830. Go ahead and take a phone call now. We have Rick calling from San Luis Obispo. Good morning. How are you? Hi. Um, in, in regard to uh, uh, selling your house and trying to do this exchange thing, um, I'm in a situation where um, my house is worth somewhere around 500000 and I owe 155 on it. If I, if I sold it right now I, and wanted to uh, do an exchange into another property, if it had to be worth the same amount of money, then I would have to then do another financing and, and go back into debt. Is there any way that I can take my equity and buy a property that the equity will pay for and not have to incur that debt? 
if it's a property that you live in as your primary residence and you you stand to benefit from the capital gains exemptions for a married it's 250 250,000 of gain I'm sorry single 250,000 of gain excluded um, and if you're married it's up to 500,000 so in that instance um, it, it depends what your basis is in the property at the time of sale there's that calculated profit that you've made if you're under those thresholds, then you could downsize with no tax penalty at all. Um, I hope I'm right about that because I said it pretty matter of fact. Rick, is this well, a is this a primary residence? Are you living in it currently, or is this an investment yeah, property? It's, it's primary, and I'm single. Yeah, so you could exclude up to two hundred fifty thousand under the the standard tax code, I believe, guy. And and Rick. Um, the primary residence is its own category, and normally people are not exchanging there. On investment property, though, when you're exchanging, you have to go up in debt, up in equity, and up in price. So all three is is the way that works. But on your your primary residence, you're in a completely different category, as Jason was, was talking about. So uh, There's another, another related question, and that is uh, I didn't buy the home. I inherited it, and, it's, uh, and it was in a trust, uh, but I'm the trust trustee. And, and, um, I have a great answer for you. Uh -huh. You need good tax advice. I was going to say the same thing. There's... Sometimes through the trust, the especially if it's a property that was in the family for a long time, there could be some deferred um, gains in there already. The basis in that trust could be extremely low and in, in which selling it could create some real tax ramifications. So I would make some calls and get some really dependable advice before making any moves with that property. Uh -huh. Rick, I, you could think of it this way. You, you've got... 300,000 here of equity that something like that, correct? Yeah. Okay. So if you spend a couple hundred dollars on a good real estate CPA and go sit down with this person to protect that 300,000, that's a very smart move. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Um, well, and you know, <laughs> thanks for the advice. All right, Rick, thank you. The other thing worth noting is that your loan balance against your house isn't always um, demonstrative of your overall equity. So in other words, it might be the, the, you know, the unencumbered part is what we think of in terms of equity. But when it comes down to tax law, you could, you could borrow beyond your basis. So suddenly, you know, you owe 200000 and you're going to sell it for, for 400 and you're like, oh, good, well, that's going to be excluded. But your basis could be less than what you actually owe on it if you did a cash-out refinance or you know some other event caused you to, to have a lower basis in that property. So you can't always just assume that it just lines up based on what you owe and what you sell it for. Yeah, and this is where you do not want to make a mistake and you want to know the tax ramifications because other things – uh, come into play as well. What what Jason was saying was you you take depreciation on an investment property. Well, that is going to increase your taxable event when you sell. Um, maybe you made capital improvements on this investment property, and that's going to be 
good for you uh, tax-wise. But maybe you have lost carry-forwards or something else going on. Maybe you have something, maybe you've got uh, something you could take some tax losses on and then offset that against this real estate gain. So you, you want to be positive what the consequences are because then you can make the best decision. And it, it's not it's not something you would want to do, um, you know, on your own. That sort of touches on what we were talking about on the break is there seems to be so many hurdles and, and maybe not hurdles is the right word, pitfalls that you could potentially fall into. So it's so important to get the, the counsel and, you know, a good professional will be able to, to provide that information to you because it's it's not only critical to avoid the pitfalls, but we also don't want to, like you were talking about, spend $60,000 giving that check to the government because we misstepped somewhere along the way. Uh, so it's, it's, it's super critical. It seems like dealing with a professional during this transaction is just critical. When you, um, and we'll touch on it a little bit more here. So when you exchange an investment property, you avoid the capital gains, so you get to move all your equity, but you also take that old basis with you. So, which means in your new property, you're not gonna have as much depreciation as you would if you just bought it outright. And again, it depends on your, your uh, the bigger picture. Um, for many people, using all of your equity and buying a better property, a bigger property, outweighs the fact that you won't have as much depreciation as you might have had. So um, that's, you know, that's one of those things where you need advice, you need to look at it and, and make that personal decision. I just want to point out real quick, Jason, because you seemed, you seemed impressed by this somehow. This is why we do the show, man. I. Having these conversations about just things that we we don't have enough time or frankly enough knowledge to cover um, every aspect there is to do in home ownership or um, these things that potentially affect good hardworking people. So we just we raise these questions and we want people to know that there are trusted advisors that you can call on to help set up a plan to guide you through those pitfalls and this in this transcends just today's topic um, but the point is in all things based in real estate tax code um, estate planning savvy um, agents to investors everything we try to bring here is just to help people recognize that uh, you can get craft and create a proper plan to to maximize your gains and minimize your losses if you just have that conversation and you know yeah it's advertising for us but at the same time there's not very many resources around like this where you can get such a variety of topics and and have these conversations there i it's hard to there's not very many places you can go to get it right i agree i agree completely and we're lucky to have guys come in here, guys like Guy, to come in and uh, take time out of a Saturday to share it. So, again, I really thank you for your expertise. We have like 15 minutes left here, so we need to take the final commercial break of the show. What are you going to talk about to close us out here? 
I'm going to chat about a couple things. What happens if you don't do 100% exchange? Um, we'll talk about reverse exchanges, and we'll talk about how much does it cost to do an exchange. Perfect. All right. Join us after this break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. I was feeling the blues. I was watching the news when this fella came on the tape. All right, you guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Hey, we got this last little segment here. We got a true pro in here. I'd love it if you guys would call in and ask him your questions or uh, try to kick an idea around. It's what we're here for, 543-8830. During the break, we got a call from a, a shy caller who didn't want to go on the air. Um uh, a past client of CCL, friend of mine. Um, love to hear from you. Thanks for calling. I'll ask his question over the air because it's a good one, and I don't know that I know the answer to the question, so I'm going to defer to you, Guy. Um, in terms of the 1031 exchange, it almost suggests that because you're deferring that tax liability, deferring to me 
kind of feels like my student loans right after college when I was broke and unemployed, I couldn't afford to pay them. So they just said, we'll just keep growing this over here and you can pay us later. Um, later came and I had to start paying the suckers back. But so in this, a 1031 exchange where we're deferring the taxes, what's the event at some point, do we just get clobbered by eight exchanges and owe everything and more to the government? Or how do you unwind this thing without ultimately owing that money? Uh, the government keeps track of, uh, of this deferred money on your tax return. There's a special form. And so, but of course, most of us would rather pay a thousand dollars 10 years from now than today. So it makes, it makes sense. Um, what happens over, let's say many years of exchanging, you've got a, uh, gigantic gain, a gigantic taxable event. A couple things can happen. Um, one, what happens is sometimes there's another event later in your life where you've got some enormous losses. And so you can take those losses and sell some of that property and offset them. If not, one strategy that people use, you'd probably be surprised to, that I might mention this, but when one spouse passes away, the surviving spouse gets what's called a stepped-up basis. And the simplest terms, what this means is the spouse that survives can sell those assets and pay zero, pay no capital gains. Oh, so you have a lifetime of real estate dynasty, and then when your wife dies, you get to take all the money. And, uh, well, you, the, the surviving spouse... Uh, but unfortunately when, for you, Jason, that's when you die, your wife gets all the money. Right. <laughs> I, I could say this in 25, 30 years of being in the business, there's many, many clients I've had that they exchange all their lives. And you know what? One day I get that call. Somebody passed away and it's go time. And I, I have one going right now with a client that's about 86 years old in that exact situation. Well, I mean, it's not exactly a romantic idea, but a lifetime worth of saving and making sound financial decisions, you ultimately were all going to die at some point. So it's a, the right opportunity to kind of settle up the score and get your money out for your heirs, right? It, that That's one. And I will say quickly, and, and this is a, a sophisticated plan, but it is there. If you have substantial assets there is charitable trusts and things you can do to collect all that income and sell it while you, while either or both of you are alive and enjoy that income for many, many years. But that's a little beyond the show, but there, there is that. And, and I can tell you from experience that very, very wealthy people use these charitable trusts vig vigorously. Yeah. Oh, if anything, that's a recurring theme for me. People always gripe about how the rich get richer. Um, for the most part, the rich educate themselves about how to pay less in taxes. The, the, <laughs> the, that is definitely true. Uh, the wealthy clients I know are very, very smart. They have teams of people that help them. Look, the laws are the laws. We can use them. Yep. Hey, we got another phone call here. We have John calling from San Luis Obispo. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Uh, good morning. Thanks for your show. I try and catch as often as I can. It's always interesting information. Thanks. From, from my perspective, anyway. 
say, just following up, Rick called in about selling, maybe selling his home, and you know, uh, he, he owns the home and primary residence. I just wanted to pass along to him if he's still there. If he's over, I think it's 55 years of age. If he's staying within the county and he's buying a house of equal or lesser value than he sells his house, he can carry over his uh, tax basis uh, for ta property tax role basis to the new home rather than have a step up. You know, if he's been in that home, it sounds like a long time. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we always try to point that out to our clients that are over 55. San Luis has that great policy as a county. Um, and oftentimes when you get to that period in your life, um, rather than calling it downsizing, I like to call it right sizing, which is to get a little bit more simple of a house. And, uh, sure. but the big problem is if you sell a house under prop 13 that you've owned for 40 years where the taxes are a thousand bucks a year, you pop into a new one for 500 grand and then suddenly you're paying $530 a month in taxes that can damage a fixed income individual pretty quickly so absolutely uh, and a lot of homeowners probably aren't aware of this it's a one-time exemption or you know yeah opportunity that you have um, so it's yeah it's great for maybe some other listeners and just a kind of a shout out to the county assessor's office i, I did this myself in the last couple of years or so and the, i I wanted to be sure I was doing everything right, so I was in the assessor's office more than one time talking to the folks there to be sure that I was doing it properly. And every time I was in there, they are just fabulous. They're they're on your side. They're giving good advice. They they want to help you. It's just a very positive experience with those folks at the county. Definitely. That's yeah. awesome. John, a timely call. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Yeah, thank you. All right, have a great day. Check this out. For all of you that are into it, next week, Tom Bordenaro is going to be on the show. And it'll be the third time we've had him on Mortgage Matters. Uh, for those of you that don't know who this guy is, he's the county assessor. Um, and it's awesome show. Love talking. I mean, last time we had him on was when, um, I think it was Prop 8, right? It's, am I getting that right? So Prop 13 is what protected our property values. And then I think we had Prop 8 where that gave the tax relief so that if you experienced a radical decline in property value, that you likewise would get the benefit of that lower um, tax while your property was at a depressed value. So they went through and reassessed everybody. There's these automatic triggers and it cut everybody back with a reminder that property values as they rebound right now under prop 13, your property taxes can only go up. Um, it's 2% a year, right? This prop eight lowering of your taxes has no, uh, periodic cap or whatever. If you caught your old value and surpassed it or whatever, your taxes could fly all the way back up to where they were. So there's a lot of little things about that to talk about. And we also talk about that program of um, ch transferring your tax base as a one-time move to another property in the county. Just cool little stuff. I love that Tom Bornaro is willing to to do mortgage matters. And I think, I mean, this is at least the third time he's done the show. So we'll be thrilled to have him. You guys should listen next week. I'm excited about it. Can you tell? <laughs> Speaking of that, there's um, we've got a handful of important guests and um, fun topics lined up for the for the next uh, two months here. So just all together, pretty excited about the things going on. 
we have probably about one minute now to wrap it up here um, with any final thoughts that you have. So I'll give you one minute, Guy. Okay, thank you. Um, I want I'll, I want to mention accommodator fees. And, you know, this is a bulletproof area. The title companies have them, the big escrow companies. Anywhere from $750 to $1,200 is kind of a range. It's not very expensive to do an exchange. So to protect 60, 80, several hundred thousand of taxes for $1,000 is a pretty good deal. Right. Um, if you don't do a, a full exchange, let's say you've got a property and you don't want to buy a, a more expensive property. You want to buy a property maybe a little less expensive. That's fine. That's called a partial exchange. You will have partial taxes, but nowhere near the taxes on your whole gain because you're moving a big chunk of it. So that you can do fine. Obviously, you need to get advice as to what those taxes will be. Awesome. Can you please give your contact information one more time in case somebody listening wants to get one-on-one -on -one with you to get some excellent counsel and you can send me an email and i'd be happy to answer them and you can go to guy torelli.com my website or you can call me at 556-5336 we also got link backs to his info on our website which is centralcoastlending.com uh sure love it if you guys would venture over to the site check it out sign up to receive the newsletter maybe look into the calculators check out the program see if we can help you if you want to buy a home or refinance a home we're an excellent start for you we always beat the competitive quote so give us a crack at it call us this week to get your appointment for a custom consultation numbers five four three five six two six that one number rings all of our offices five four three loan Thanks so much for being with us, Guy. Thanks for coming in. Jason, thanks for filling in for Dan. You guys are amazing. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you. We'll be back next week. More Mortgage Matters. Do hope to have you.